Did that get you warmed up? <laughs> Welcome. We're glad you're here. Faith Community Fellowship is your home today, and we're glad that it is. And um, another week's gone by. I didn't use algebra. Did you? Yeah. Weeks and weeks and even now years go by, and I keep saying, when am I going to use that? How many are ready for a back-to-school, thinking of back-to-school? How many are ready for a pop quiz? You look, you look really on, right on fire this morning, so you'll probably be ahead of the questions even. All right, really, most of them are one or two or maybe three-word answers and real quick answers. That's why it's called a pop quiz. In which battle did Napoleon die? His last one, that's right. Where was the Declaration of Independence signed? Where? At the bottom of the page. River Ravi flows in what state? Anyone? Liquid. Okay. What's the main reason for divorce? Right. What's the main reason for failure? Exams or pop quizzes, right? And most of you are well on your way to failure. What can you never eat for breakfast? Two things. Lunch and dinner. Lunch and right. What looks like half an apple? The other half. Which one are you laughing at? That was very delayed. If you throw a red stone into the blue sea, what will it become? Wet. How could a man go eight days without sleeping? Right. He sleeps at night. Eight days without sleeping. How can you lift an elephant with one hand? Anybody? You'll never find an elephant with one hand. If you had three apples and four oranges in one hand and four apples and three oranges in another hand, what would you have? These are bonus questions now. That means they're easy. What would you have? Very large hands. If it took eight men, now you got to think this, maybe you have to use your algebra, ten hours to build a wall, how long would it take four men to build it? No time at all, it's already built. Explain it to them when you get home, don't, don't try now. I got other things I want you to think about. How can you drop a raw egg onto a concrete floor without cracking it? Boiling. No. Because anyway you try, concrete floors are very hard to crack. <laughs> Thank you. You did well in the pop quiz. As far as I could tell, most everybody passed. Nobody made the 100%. I gave you the bonuses just to see if I could get you over the top. But give yourselves a hand for at least trying. Those were quick questions, and it's early in the morning, and I know. I want you to get your Bibles ready. Uh, we're going to focus on Revelation chapter 12. That doesn't mean we're going to camp there, but that's going to be the focus of this morning's message. So I hope that you will be in and around there and be able to follow along if you have your Bible or your electronic device, your iPhone, your tablet, your pencil. How many have seen the new Apple uh, gadget, the pencil? How many, how many have it? Anybody here this morning have the pencil? Phenomenal, isn't it? Phenomenal. Absolutely phenomenal. How many have heard of the pencil? Okay. So for the three of you that have, if you have a pencil, you can use that. Uh, it seems like we need them for everything today, even in church, although sometimes I wonder what you're looking at, but you may be looking at the, at the text, I don't know. Matter of fact, I was thinking the other day, somebody sent me this, that if, what, what would it be like if the Titanic hadn't sunk in like 100 years ago, but like this year, in 2015? I think it would look something like this. <laughs> yeah. With all due respect to the Titanic and etc. All right. Still people trying to process that. That's, yeah. um, I do have, um, I, I do want to just, for the sake of those that weren't here uh, a few weeks ago, started a new series entitled The Back of the Book. And yes, it concentrates on the book of Revelation, but it's not, 
It's not an exegetical study, uh, chapter by chapter and verse by verse and phrase by phrase and image by image of everything you see in the book of Revelation. But it centers in the book of Revelation so that people can be wise and aware and prepared uh, for the last times and what all is going to take place and how it's going to shake out and so on. So what uh, I really want to do is um, I want to ask a, a series of questions, and these are a little more serious than the pop quiz. And I just want you to think, this is how I've been opening each message in this series. By asking some questions to get you thinking, get the mental cap on, and get the engine burning. First question is, there are currently so many movies, books, and articles around the theme of the end times. It won't quit. It won't go away. It just keeps... Hollywood, it seems, is, is somehow starstruck by this. I don't know why, where, who it is, but do you think people in general are thinking about this seriously? And when I say this, I mean the end times. People I talk to, I don't think a week goes by where I don't have a conversation with somebody who brings it up themselves. And it may be from different angles, that's all fine, but i got to tell you, people are thinking about this. Persecution forces the church to be the church. That's kind of my underlying theme this, this morning. And, and think of this. Now the question is, how different and maybe in what way do you think the church would look during the persecution of the last days? Let me just uh, uh, advise you that the church is going to look a whole lot different than it does today, right where you are and right where you sit. Third question is, is the suffering of Christians in other parts of the world a reality to you, or is it just a news item? When I think of those Coptic Christians who were beheaded just a couple months ago, some of these people that have gone through intense suffering, the people that were burned alive, the pe- all the different tortures and persecution going on. You know, that's getting, because the globe seems to be shrinking and we seem to be sitting next door to almost every other country in the world, um, it's becoming more of a reality, don't you think, all the time. And maybe you haven't thought of it, and maybe we should start thinking about it. Are you able to stand up for your faith now? Can you stand and defend your faith? Or will persecution help you with that, or will it harm your faith? We always have those choices to make, don't we? And it's best if we can get our minds around and our hearts around our decision now. Yeah. So it's easier, a little bit easier now. What's it going to be like during time of great persecution? Now, I have a personal assignment for you. You don't have to start it now, but I would like you to do it in the next day or two if you have time. And that is, or if you can't do it that way, just spread it out over the week. But read for me. Please read the 12th chapter of Revelation, 17 verses. It's a quick read, Um, quick in time, but there's a lot to take in. There's a lot of imagery. And I'm going to be in and out of there uh, this morning. That's my hope. And I'll be able to give you some stuff to to work on. But I believe if you read that whole thing after you've heard this message, that a lot of it will come to light and it'll be a big help to you. So our message this morning, our third in the series, entitled Temporary Persecution to Ultimate Victory. How many are interested in victory? All right. The book of Revelation, I've said before, I'll repeat myself, is filled with strange and wonderful symbolism. And all that symbolism is charged with emotion. To just read it for reading's sake and to just take in the words and just kind of try to figure out what the words are saying, it it, it lacks some meaning. But when you realize that the symbolism is charged with emotion and it's talking about something very specific. And now there are a lot of books of the Bible that you need to read before you get into any kind of a study of Revelation so that you can start understanding what those things are, uh, especially the book of Daniel and et et cetera, et cetera. But I'm going to just stay with the the Revelation because there seems to be so much interest in that today. In chapter 12, a woman appears clothed with the sun. The moon is under her feet and a crown of 12 stars are on her head. So what I want to do now is go from the very last book of your Bible all the way back to the very first book of the Bible. And this is for your notes, by the way. Genesis 37 And I want to read four or five verses for you to kind of set the tone, because this directly relates with what we're going to be saying here in Revelation 12. In Genesis 37, starting to read at verse 5, 
I read these words. Joseph had a dream, and when he told it to his brothers, they hated him all the more. He said to them, listen to this dream I had. We were binding sheaves of grain out in the field when suddenly my sheaf rose and stood upright while your sheaves gathered around mine and bowed, bowed down to it. His brothers said to him, do you intend to reign over us? Will you actually rule us? And they hated him all the more. They already hated him. They hated him all the more because of his dream and what he had said. Then he had another dream, Joseph the dreamer, and he told it to his brothers. Listen, he said, I had another dream. And this time the sun and the moon and 11 stars were bowing down to me. Now the woman represents the people of Israel. Any uh, any reliable Bible scholar that you read will concur with that and will agree with that. The son represents Jacob, or now we say, we call him, or we call it Israel. The moon is his wife, Rachel, and the 12 stars are the 12 sons of Israel. The purpose, and you have to always remember this, I told someone this just a couple days ago who isn't really even a believer, but they're so taken up with all what's happening in the Middle East and beyond. We need to know this. You need to know this as a Christian believer. The purpose of Israel was to bring forth the Messiah into this world. And someone said, well, you know, I hear what's going on. I see what's happening. I hear the threats to Israel. I'm afraid for them. We don't seem to be standing on their side, blah, blah, blah. And I said, listen, the the Jew is the key to the whole thing. You don't understand the Jew. You don't understand Jewish history. You don't understand Israel. You don't understand. Now, what else is in this 12th chapter of Revelation? Well, we find a red dragon. That is the personification of the devil who was once a glorious angel, but who rebelled against God. And in an attempt to take his place, he led a revolt, taking with him about a third of the angels of heaven, who then became demons. And we've all dealt with some of them. Matter of fact, some of us know a few of them on a personal basis. The prophet Isaiah describes this scene, and he wrote this in Isaiah 14, 12 to 15, if you're following. And if you'd like to follow on the screen, that's even better. How you have fallen from heaven, morning star, son of the dawn. You've been cast down to the earth. I don't know why he couldn't have cast him somewhere else, but we were lucky and got him. You who once laid low the nations, you said in your heart, I, just if you're an underliner in your Bible, underline these words. I will ascend to the heavens. I will raise my throne above the stars of God. I will sit enthroned on the Mount of Assembly in the utmost mounts of Mount Zaphon. I will ascend upon the tops of the clouds. I will make myself like the Most High. This is my will, devil speaking, against God's perfect will. Be careful when you use those words. I will, I will, I will, I will. You ought to put the little letters DV after that every time you say I will, which means diem volante. If God wishes, if God wills, then that's what I'll do. Well, I'm going away next week and I'm leaving on uh, whatever, Friday. If God wills. But the devil had now no concern or or admiration or respect whatsoever for any higher being. But you are brought down to the realm of the dead, to the depths of the pit. So the fall was great. Now the devil represented by this dragon is then said to attempt to kill the woman's child. And he hates God and he hates God's son as well as hating the people of God or the people who follow the son of God. Remember that shortly after Jesus' birth, matter of fact, in that present time, remember King Herod, the Roman ruler? He followed to a T, he followed the devil's will as he killed all the male children in that region in an attempt to kill Jesus. The already arrived child king. And that was his purpose. But his, the parents of Jesus escaped 
got him away to Egypt, and the devil also aroused the people of Jesus' own hometown. You want to go to Luke chapter 4, you can read this in verse 29. The devil aroused the people of Jesus' hometown to, to kill him and to turn on him. Finally, the devil tried to kill him by putting him on the cross of Calvary. But Jesus was snatched up to the throne of God and Christ's resurrection and Christ's ascension decisively defeated the devil's plans to ever destroy the coming Messiah. Aren't you glad? God's plan to save the world through Christ prevailed. Can I remind you of that if you're down in the dumps this morning? God's plan to save the world through Christ prevailed and prevails. And the devil was thrown down to the earth through the redemptive work of Jesus Christ on the cross. And thank God for that redemptive work. Finding himself limited now to the earth, the devil pursues the woman who now represents all the people of God. That's you, that's me, that's all believers of all time in an attempt to harm God's followers. Because if he can do that, he can harm God's testimony. And if he can do that, he can make our none effect that which we believe and which we're trying to share with others around us. One astute scholar put it this way, and I quote, it is precisely when Satan has lost the battle for the souls of the saints in heaven that he begins the fruitless persecution of their bodies. And that's so true. The persecution of the people of God is represented. By the way, in Revelation chapter 12, I'm going to mention a verse or two because right near the end, there's some really poignant things that you need to understand. In verse 15, there's mention... There's mention of, of water that spews forth from the dragon's mouth like a river. In other words, a flood of persecution, that's a flood of persecution, comes against the church as the devil goes off to make war against the woman and against the rest of her offspring. And down in verse 17, the very last verse of that chapter, it says, those who obey God's commandments and hold to the testimony of Jesus, it is interesting that, that those are the ones who he went after. And it's interesting also that it's water that comes from the dragon's mouth. Quickly tell me in any if we had any of the kids in here that could tell me without even thinking about it, what do we normally think of when we think of a dragon and when he opens his mouth, what comes out? Good. Isn't it interesting in Revelation chapter 12, this dragon opened his mouth and what came out? Water. Water. You say, what is the significant about that? Well, just think of it. Normally, the imagery is fire coming from a dragon's mouth. This is symbolic. What is it symbolic of? It's symbolic of his lack of power, are you listening, Christian, to do any real lasting harm. He can attack you for a season. He can attack us for a season. He can attack the church worldwide for a season. But I want to emphasize, it's for a season. He doesn't do any real and eternal harm. What is the basic message then of Revelation 12? Is that there is a vital role for the church to play during the world's last days. And that's where you and I come in. Matter of fact, there are three important messages that John gives us in this chapter about the place of the church in the last days. And the first is that they, that's the believers, will be God's witnesses. Believers will be God's witnesses. Let me tell you, as the world's darkness seems to to deepen every day, I would suggest to you that it's never more important for us to be, it has never been as important for us to be the light of the world as it is today. As the world just keeps traveling at mock speed, further into error, it's never been more important for us to announce the truth of the Word of God. Not just to announce it, but to live it. Not just to live it, but to be the embodiment of it that others might see and that others might know that indeed He is alive to the glory of God the Father. 
And as this world travels further on its pursuit of error, it's never been more important for us to keep on announcing the truth of God's word. Never tire. As this world becomes more and more immersed in its own sin, debauchery, immorality, it has never been more important for us than it is now to be an example of moral and ethical integrity and uprightness. Church, church, as the world gives in to the pressures of conformity, it has never been more important to be people of courage and strength and honesty and consistency in the world in which we live. Never. So the Bible goes on to describe the last meeting between Jesus and his disciples. Many of you are familiar with it. You could go to Acts chapter 1 and reread it. I'm going to read a little bit, three verses for you. But he, he, he meets with the disciples prior to his ascension, Acts chapter 1, and it says, So when they met together, they asked him, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? <laughs> I, I wish. Wouldn't that have been nice? <laughs> He said to them, it's not for you to know the times or the dates the Father has set by his own authority, but, but, but you will receive power. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses <coughs> Excuse me, please. in Jerusalem and in Judea and in Samaria and to the uttermost part of the earth. I'm going to say it again. This is our purpose as a church. Being God's witnesses is the work we are to be involved in. How long? Till the Lord returns. And it's not done in our own power. And Jesus is very clear telling the disciples this. It's done in the power of the Holy Spirit as the Holy Spirit comes upon you and empowers you for service. I think of the Mercedes-Benz TV commercial. It has a camera just perfectly placed following a Mercedes-Benz as it collides with a cement wall during a safety test. And the car, it's amazing, but the car comes through the test just beautifully. Far less damage to the body of that car than you would ever expect. And actually, it left the trash dump, uh, the trash, the crash dummy, <laughs> without any kind of a mark on it. So a man then inspects this scene and interviews the company spokesman, and he asks him, he said, why, don't, why doesn't your company then <coughs> enforce the patent on Mercedes-Benz energy-absorbing design, especially since they know the design is most likely being copied anyway by other companies? And that company spokesman simply looked at the interviewer, and he said, because some things in life are too important not to share. In other words, Mercedes-Benz is more concerned about saving lives than they are about protecting their rights. Why? Because something that will save lives is just too important not to share. The purpose of our lives, yours, mine, the church, the believers, the followers, is not to protect ourselves and all of our rights. Have you ever heard a time or seen a time or lived through a time when more people are crying out for their rights? i got to be honest. I'm kind of glad I didn't get my rights. I'm glad I didn't get what I deserve. I'm glad I live under the umbrella of the mercy of Almighty God. I'm glad I'm not where I should have been. Yeah? You with me? Yeah. Simply put, the mercy of God is God withholding from you that which you deserve. <laughs> Simply put, the grace of God is God giving to you that which you could never earn or deserve. These people are crying. They're, they're taking over the streets of our country. They're taking over a lot of communities. They're taking over, they're trying to take over our police and our protective units that are out there giving their lives, putting their lives on the line every day for us, and they're hollering for their rights. And they want their rights. Let me tell you, I, I'll go down if I have to take my last breath standing for the, for, I will be standing on the side of the police and the 
fire and the first responders of this nation long before I will those people who are filling up the streets of America today. And I've told our police force here locally that, and they know that they've got a lot of support. And you need to say it to every police officer you meet, wherever it is, even after he gives you the ticket. Thank him. No, thank him for being on the job. And we thank you for the money. Um, (laughs) Which, which, the local constabulary, they don't get any of the money. That all goes to the state. I hope you know that. People say, well, I guess the city must need some money. They've really been handing out tickets lately. We don't get one penny of that. It all goes to the state. So, there, you've been enlightened and you did learn something today. Revelation chapter 12. The purpose of our lives is not to protect ourselves and all of our rights, whatever those are, because what we have is just too important not to share. We dare not keep this to ourselves and thereby shut others out of the eternal kingdom. Plus, it's the thing that gives our lives power. It's the thing that enables us to overcome the evil of this world. Remember how the persecuted people of God overcame the power of the devil in the last days, according to the Apostle John. It reads in chapter 12, where we are, in verse 11, it reads, They overcame him. Satan, by the blood of the Lamb, listen, listen, and by the word of their testimony. They did not love their lives so much as to shrink from death. They did not overcome him by becoming silent, but by the word of their testimony. Interesting, isn't it? The word silent and the word listen have the same letters in them. But by the word of their testimony. And they did so under tremendous opposition and tremendous persecution. I'm going to say this, even though some of you I know and some Christians that that we're well aware of have, have suffered and have been persecuted. Nothing like is being predicted and prophesied here by John in Revelation chapter 12. Jesus taught his disciples in Matthew chapter 10. Starting to read at verse 17, he said, Be on your guard. You will be handed over to the local councils and be flogged in the synagogues. Oh, that this is you're glad you came to church today, aren't you? Nothing like a good, happy, upbeat message. On my account, you will be brought before governors and kings as witnesses to them and to the Gentiles. But when they arrest you, do not worry about what to say or how to say it. At that time, you'll be given what to say. For it will not be you speaking, but the spirit of your father speaking through you. Boy, those are good words, aren't they? This is a great consolation. Our purpose, my friends, is to speak the word of truth and to share with people the transforming power of Jesus Christ. I don't know about you, you say. But as for me, I can explain something. Once I was lost... But now I'm found. Once I was undone, on my way to hell, no hope for time or for eternity. And now I'm I'm bound for the promised land. I used to sing solid rock, now I sing rock of ages. (laughs) It's rock and roll in the best sense, because my feet are on the rock and my name's on the roll. And I can tell you after you get their attention. He doesn't just make a change here and a change there and a change there. And then maybe a slight little tweak here. I'm talking to you, my friend, you say, about complete transformation of the life. From top to bottom. In the head, in the brain, right? In the heart, in the soul. In the motivation, right? Everything about me has got, has got to change. I was once walking in a certain direction. God said, halt! And I stopped in my tracks. And he didn't say, just look back over your left shoulder. He said, about face. And I was walking towards death and darkness and damnation and eternal destruction. And now I'm walking towards light and life and love and eternity with him. You'll say, oh, I love being a Christian, but I don't know if I could share anything. Tell them what happened to you. 
Tell them how it changed you. Tell them what you were. Tell them what you are. Tell them what you're going to be. Simple as that. Say, well, I don't know if I could do that. Is it because you just don't know that you can do that? Think about it. Our purpose is to speak the word of truth and share with people the transforming power of Jesus. They need to know that he can change their lives. You know, they're so caught up in the mundane, everyday messes and mix-ups and misunderstandings and junk that goes on, whether it be in relationship or be in jobs or planning or family back or whatever it is. They can't see beyond today, let alone tomorrow or into eternity. And so you have to back them up a little bit and show them how their lives can totally change, starting by being forgiven. Is there a better feeling in all the world? <laughs> but how they also will know if we, how will they know? And, 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 and Paul asked that question. He said, how are they going to know if we don't tell them? We can't be more concerned with protecting our own selves and staying in our own circle and, and, and just staying behind our own fences than we are about getting the word of God out there because that is what Christ has charged us to do. Let's not forget that, church. Let's not forget that, individual believer. John wrote the book of Revelation, he did, under divine inspiration to a group of people who were suffering greatly because they dared to be the witnesses of Christ. John, too, he was suffering himself. And he wrote this in Revelation chapter 1. He, uh, let me back up for a second. Um, I want to go back to, and I just spoke to, to the church regarding what we need to do and how we need to do it and where we need to do it and when we need to do it and, and with whom do we need to do it. I want, I want to remind us all of a couple of verses in the fifth chapter of Acts. These are very crucial, very critical to the church today because here's what it says in Acts 5.40. He, his speech persuaded them and they called the apostles in and had them flogged and then they ordered them not to speak. They brought the apostles in and they accused them again and they said, don't go out there and preach anymore. Do not use the name of Jesus. Do not, do not, do not, do not. And then, after that was done, they let them go. The apostles left the Sanhedrin with their tails between their legs and they went and hid each one to his own comfort zone. Is that your version? Or is that the crossweight per version? Okay. The apostles left the Sanhedrin. Why don't you read the rest with me? Rejoicing because they had been counted worthy of suffering disgrace for the name. Name is in cap. The name of Christ. Day after day in the temple courts. Listen to this. And from house to house. Everywhere. They never stop teaching and proclaiming the good news that Jesus is the Messiah. They were beaten. They were threatened with more beatings. But their minds were on the honor of sharing in the sufferings of Christ and the privilege of sharing the good news with others. And they were not going to be swayed, and they weren't swayed, and that's why we're sitting here today. And so, yes, John did write about a group of people who were suffering, but John himself was suffering. And he said these words, he said, I, John, in Revelation 1.9, he said, I, John, your brother and companion in the suffering and kingdom <coughs> and patient endurance that are ours in Jesus, was on the Isle of Patmos. That is, he was in prison. He had been exiled to a little prison island because of the word of God and the testimony of Jesus. They just refused. In that first century, they just refused to be quiet. They just refused to go away. They just refused to quit doing what God had commanded them to do. Because the, and, and it's like Mercedes-Benz. Because the news they were carrying was just too good. The life change that they had seen in so many people was so transforming. It was just too good not to share. 
they were obsessed with this. You talk about passion. We, tell you, we use that word today, passionate. Well, yeah, he plays a really good game because he's, he's really passionate about that sport. It's passion. These people went out there under the threat of beating and of death and said, we've got a message that we need to share, and it is so important. It's too important not to share. It's too important to keep to ourselves, in spite of the persecution, the word of God continued to increase, Acts 12, 24 said, and it continued to increase, and it continued to spread. Why should it be any less today? We're living in an evil world. We're we're living in a condemned cosmos, much like they were. So the first thing is, we're... We're going to, how, what's the place of the church in the last days? Number one, to be as witnesses. Number two, what's the church's place? Believers, <clears throat> now I come to the good stuff, and you'll re- I'll really have your attention here. Believers will be persecuted. Whatever your interpretation of revelation, I'm not here to teach eschatology today. I'll teach it if you want it. I'll set you straight if you're not straight. But whether you believe the people of God will go through the tribulation, I don't, or you're going to be spared from it, you must understand that the church will face persecution, persecution, and persecution piled on top of that. In fact, isn't this interesting? Look around the globe today. The church is already facing intense persecution. Yeah. Almost every corner of the world, you say, oh, I know, in those foreign countries, <laughs> including the USA. My neighbors, listen to this. I don't know if you've heard of the most recent brutal beating and, and killing in Portland, Maine. A, a, a terrorist killing in Portland, Maine. I don't know if you ever saw any of the graphic photos of the Christian man lying dead, his Bible beside him, soaked in blood. This isn't happening in the Middle East, and it's not confined to the other side of the globe. This thing is spreading like wildfire. In China, followers of Jesus are killed and imprisoned and tortured. People don't tell you that because a lot of times people don't know that. They find out you're a Christian in many, many places. The homes are destroyed. Their means of making a living are taken from them. You know the history there when the bamboo curtain came down and all the missionaries were expelled from the country? Many people thought that was the end of Christianity in China. Well, the fact is Christianity has been alive in China for many, many, many years. But when China became open to the West again, what we found was a church that had multiplied exponentially. Never in any place on earth has the church ever grown like it had in the country of China. The perp- the the the, the the number of Christians had exploded, and the church was, spr- was strong, even though it was underground, and the price that people were paying in order to follow Christ was extreme. What we've discovered, to see through history, and you study some of these models, is that when the church is persecuted, it becomes stronger. When the church is persecuted, it becomes more pure. When the church is persecuted, it becomes the church, and more so in those days than at any other time. And here's the reason. It's very simple. I can put it in one sentence. It's because in those times, people really take their faith seriously. It's no game. It's no Sunday morning show. It's serious stuff. So let's bring this up to 2015. Hear me out. We have to understand that we are in a spiritual war. We have a very powerful enemy. And the Apostle Peter wrote something that I think we need to remember. In chapter 5 of 1 Peter, in verses 8 and 9, he wrote, Be alert and sober-minded. Sober-minded. Our enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Resist him. Standing firm in the faith because you know that the family of believers throughout the world is undergoing the same kind of suffering. It's not... A picnic. This is not a game. This is real 
stuff. And so we have an adversary. I don't think many of us were, were a Christian. I don't think people I know were Christians very long before they realized, oh, we have an adversary. I have an adversary. <laughs> I have an enemy. I have Jesus, but this enemy won't go away. I, 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 I'm aware of him, and I, 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 I sense his presence more than I even want to think. Yeah. And then, you know, we, we think of this, and we think, well, what is this enemy's purpose? To spiritually destroy us and to rob us of any joy or victory or sense of purpose. His hate, you see, he has such intense hatred for God. We don't know the word hatred like this kind of hatred. He has such intense hatred for God that he and his minions and his followers, some of them knowing no better, they're just ignorant, that hatred, you see, is then extended to the people of God because that's how they figure they can get to God. And they can vent that anger and that hatred and even the score. We're not to fear him because here's what Jesus said. Do not be afraid of what you are about to suffer, Revelation 2.10. I tell you, the devil will put some of you in prison to test you. And you will suffer persecution for ten days. Be faithful even to the point of death, and I will give you life as your victor's crown. You know, folks, we need to pray, and I hope you are praying, and I hope when you hear these things that you're reminded to pray for our brothers and sisters in Christ around the world who are at this very hour, some of them, undergoing enormous suffering merely because they dare to name the name of Jesus. Churches are burned in many countries, and it's illegal to become a Christian in many cultures. Families disown those who put their faith in Christ. People who are Christians are being sold into slavery in certain countries. Christians are being beaten and arrested for having a Bible. But in spite of that suffering, they're, begging, they're still begging for Bibles. And they're still sharing their faith. And in some of those countries, all of the Bible that some of those people own is maybe one or two or three pages. And yet their lives have been transformed by the power of the words on those pages. It's amazing. They're begging for someone to share their faith. They meet secretly for worship. They're always having to think about the presence of the enemy and when that enemy is going to strike. They're living out what we have read about here in the 12th chapter of Revelation. And that's why I asked you to make it a personal assignment. Because when you take time quietly to just sit down and read Revelation 12, you're going to start thinking. And I hope you'll remember to pray for our brothers and sisters who are in persecution and also realize where we are. So Jesus said, man, I love to say that. So Jesus said... That's the greatest defense you have when someone says, well, I, well, Jesus said, you're not arguing with me, pal. You're arguing with Jesus. Well, Jesus said, do not be afraid of those who kill the body but cannot kill the soul. Rather, be afraid of the one who can destroy both soul and body in hell. So if you're going to fear, just fear God in a reverential, trusting way. The wrath of our enemy is against us. That's not going to change no amount of detente, no amount of political discourse, no amount of treaties, no amount of deals with the enemies. None of that is going to change anything. The wrath of our enemy is against us, period. What then shall we say in response to this, Paul said in Romans 8.31? He said, how are we supposed to live if we know that? Here's what he said. Maybe you can finish it for me. If God be for us, if God be for us, there are a lot of questions in the Bible, aren't there? And many of them don't have answers that follow because the answer is implied in the question. If God be for us, who can be against us? Who? 
We are to expect opposition. If you don't have it, I'm, to, I'm not going to judge you. It's not my place. But I'm going to say, you need to maybe take stock. You need maybe to just check. Because if you aren't being tested, you may not need to be tested. You may already have him in your backyard and you don't realize it. Think about it. Think about it. But also as Christians, we're to expect God's strength, which will enable us to endure. Again, the Bible says in 2 Timothy 3, verse 12, in fact, everyone who wants to live, this this verse will really make your day. Every person who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus, what are the last three words? Will be persecuted. I wish that were in the Old Testament and not the New. Not everyone's going to love us. That's hard to believe, isn't it? Because we're so loving. And when we become believers, I mean, it just makes it all, all that much more. I mean, we're just so loving, adorable, attracting. Especially when we try to share with a family member or a friend. I'll just wrap that up for you. Not everyone's going to love us. Some people will even hate you. But God will be with us like he was with Daniel in the lion's den. How many of you know that story? How many of you believe that it happened just the way it's written? Well, How else would it happen? He had a fluffy pillow that night, didn't he? The king didn't sleep a wink, but Daniel had one of the best sleeps of his life. He'll be with us like he was with the uh, Hebrew children in the fiery furnace. What did the king say when he came down and looked in the furnace? What did he say? He said, I thought we put three in there. I see four. Listen to this. Their hair wasn't singed, and they didn't even smell of smoke. Say, how could that be? How could it be? Well, it's a miracle. It's God. And if you don't believe in miracles, I'm not here to convince you because miracles aren't for you. They're only for the ones who believe in them. And I've chosen years ago to believe in them. And I believe what God says. How many did we put in that fiery furnace? They should be nothing but a little piece of ashes. And, and Man, I, I know we put three in there. I see four. Does that excite you? Looks like it. You've more than convinced me. If I just walked in here to know what was going on, I'd be jumping up and down. No easy believism in this Bible Christianity. A lot of people are preaching that today and the prosperity theology. And if you just do this and this and this, you'll get a new house, a new car. Your, your salary will increase tenfold. And, oh, you'll be happy, 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 happy. Chapter and verse. Chapter and verse. Must be in the Apocrypha, because I've never read it in the Bible. He will be with you in time of trouble, like he was with Jeremiah and the other prophets who spoke the word of God. And they experienced great mistreatment by the world, but they came through it victoriously. The Bible speaks of these people who've been persecuted over the centuries for their faith when it says, some face jeers and flogging and even chains and imprisonment. Can you imagine? They were put to death by stoning and I never knew how that worked until I saw a recent video of a stoning. And I, I, I don't want to ever watch another one. But they were sawed in two. They were killed by the sword. They went about in sheepskin and goatskins, destitute, persecuted, mistreated. The world was not worthy of them. They wandered in deserts and mountains, living in caves and in holes in the ground. The world was what? Not worthy of them. The world was not worthy of them. The world was not worthy of them, but mark it down, heaven will welcome them. I feel one coming on. It's down there, but it's got to come out. So what is the church's place in the last days? To be witnesses? Believers will be persecuted and are being persecuted. Am I saying that we're in the last days or in the dawn of the last days? No, I'm not. You won't get me to say that. I don't see. There's some very important signs of things that have not happened yet. 
However, the third thing we need to understand so that we're wise in preparation for those days, any that might live through them, is that believers will be, oh, I'm so glad we got to this, victorious. Yeah. Not only that, I would probably rescript that. Believers are victorious. Because Paul said, we are more, are, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us and gave himself for us. (laughs) I love to win. You people know that. And so do you. But I've often said, isn't it something to be more than a winner? By the way, the Cornhuskers won yesterday big. I think it was like 49 to 8 or something. Of course, they played a no-name team, but just like BC, just like BC did last week, right? <laughs> Although our main boys put up a pretty good showing in Boston. Hey, here's the power of God. See, the people of God are often in the minority. So if you just live the rest of your life and you say, man, we've always been in the minority. I don't know. You just get used to it. One plus God is a majority. What side do you want to be on? Huh? The people of God are often in the minority. They're persecuted. They're killed for their faith. They're misunderstood. They're overwhelmed by political and military powers. They, but, but in spite of all that, history just proves this over and over and over and over again, as does the Bible, that they are victorious. They overcome all the odds and they overcome the world. And Jesus said, and I love saying that, in John 16 and verse 33, I've told you these things so that in me you might have peace. Because in the world you're going to have trouble. But take heart. I've overcome the world. (laughs) I've overcome the world. I've already overcome the world. Have you ever heard of the resurrection of Jesus Christ? I've come that you might have life and that you might have it more abundantly. (laughs) Listen again to how the people of God became victorious. Revelation chapter 12, coming back. I said we'd be there, in and out, back and forth. Verse 11, they overcame him by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of their testimony. They didn't love their own lives so much as to shrink from death. Beloved, the church will overcome when she's willing to take great risks for the kingdom of God. You and I will overcome when we are willing to take big risks and live dangerously for God. It's not sitting in a comfortable home. It's not sitting in a comfortable church. It's, it, it's not doing certain things and, and being at certain places at certain times that we overcome. It's by getting out Side of these walls and starting to make a difference in our world. And that takes courage. It takes courage to overcome. And this is a precious quality that, that God rewards mightily. Way over near the end of the book of Revelation, here's what we hear Jesus say. Revelation 21, starting at verse 3. These, by the way, verses have been used and misused many times by teachers and preachers. And I just want to read them for you. And I heard a voice, a loud voice from the throne saying, look, look, God's dwelling place is now among the people and he will dwell with them. They will be his people. They will be his people. I love this. And God himself will be with them and be their God. Isn't that comforting? He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain. For the old order of things has passed away. They talk about the new world order. I'm waiting for the old world order to pass away. And when we see a new world order, it'll be when we're with him. He who was seated on the throne said, I'm making everything new. Then he said, write this down for these words are trustworthy and true. He said to me, it's done. I'm the Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty, I will give water without cost from the spring of the water of life. Those who are victorious will inherit all of this. And I will be their God, and they will be my children. But the cowardly, ah, watch the list and the order thereof. But the cowardly, then the unbelieving. Wow, he puts the cowardly ahead of the unbelieving. The vile, the murderers, the sexually immoral, those who practice magic arts and the idolaters and all liars, they will be consigned to the fiery lake of burning sulfur. This is the second death. Mm. You can be born once and die twice. 
You can be born twice and die once, or maybe not at all. Think of it. Isn't it great to be born again? Hmm? Those who are cowardly, listen to that, find themselves sharing the same fate as those who have been immoral and evil. But those who are willing to suffer for Christ find that every tear is wiped away and they have no more pain. And they find that everything is brand new. And it's generally agreed that brand new means brand new. People tell us, just a moment of more current American history, if I may. People tell us that Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. (coughs) preached about death and heaven like he might be going there at any time. He said, and I quote, The minute you conquer the fear of death, at that moment you are free. He went on to say, I submit to you that if a man hasn't discovered something that he will die for, he isn't fit to live. End of quote. Why did you give that quote? Listen, many years later, a fine, fine young lady by the name of Cassie Bernal was shot to death at Columbine High School in Colorado. How many remember the Columbine shooting? Will we ever forget? She was shot just moments after telling her assailant that she still believed in God and she was not going to deny her Savior, the Lord Jesus. You know, she was inspired by Dr. King's words. She had a notebook and she had underlined King's thoughts on death and courage. Isn't that interesting? I wonder, did she... Like Dr. King, sense what would happen in her life? And did she maybe sense that there was going to come a time where she would need courage for that time? One writer trying to recapture this said, Why did these words speak to her at such a young age? It's such a great mystery, but I do know this. (laughs) She had found something she was willing to live for and even to die for. And that made all the difference in her life. And listen, folks, we still celebrate her testimony. Praise the Lord. Can you imagine what heaven is to her? Let me say it one more time. Let me say it one more time. Can I? Will you allow me to? Jesus said, Revelation 21.4, This calls for patient endurance on the part of the people of God who keep his commands and remain faithful to Jesus. Worship team, you can come. We're called, listen, I'm not done. We are called to be God's witnesses. We are called to endure temporary persecution for ultimate victory. And we are called to enjoy and to share the truth of the eternal kingdom with God, with Jesus, and with all the believers. Are you a believer? I'm going to invite you to settle the matter of your eternity, your eternal soul, today. And here's how I'm going to do it, just a real simple way. Certainly, I'd like to have a conversation with you, and I'd like you to seek me out before you leave. But in the meantime, as our worship continues, I'm going to ask you to reach for the Connect card that you'll find in the seat pocket, either in front of you, beside you, behind you. Someone will hand you one if you need one. Give us some information, but we don't need your life history. Nobody gets judged here. Nobody gets screened here. Obviously, they let me in. But there are a list of decisions if you look to the back of that Connect card and some questions there that you can answer just very quickly. And then we'd like you to leave. You can leave in one of the seats here at the front. You can come bring it, put it on the altar. You can put it in one of the boxes in the entryway, whatever. 
or hand it to us. Come and speak to us. Say, you know, I don't know, this persecution deal and this hardship deal and this threat of dying and, and being put away and not naming the name of Jesus and I don't know if somebody had a gun to my head, would, would I deny him or would I say, no, I'm going to tr- stay true? Are you a real believer? Church, the day is coming where the church will need to be the church. And thank God, because we're going to be going from temporary persecution to ultimate victory.